Who the bloody hell's that? Should indeed. You're listening to the Corona Diaries, a sometimes random and often irreverent attempt to understand the psyche of singer Steve Hogarth. Hello and welcome to chapter 33 of the Corona diaries and Mm. it's the first of december so i need to wish you happy advent i suppose yes i've opened the number one door on uh on my advent calendar all right i'm lying i I haven't i haven't have you have you not vibes has opened the number one door on his which which is one of those ones that has chocolates in yeah so uh it's not like the old days where you just got all excited and opened it and it was a candle um, you know, <laughs> it, was, it was always a candle on the first day, wasn't it? <laughs> that or, ain't going to do it for the kids these days. No, is no, it? it's not. You it's need, not. You need a, a, an iPad <laughs> <laughs> through door number one. <laughs> did, did, I must ask you this. To <laughs> or check free this tickets to Glastonbury or something. <laughs> well, I must ask you this to check that it wasn't just my family. So <laughs> we had an advent calendar, but I seem to recall for about the first five or six years of my life, it was the same calendar. And it got brought out every year. <laughs> Till the doors started falling off. Till the off. doors started falling off. Yeah, I think we did have a couple of doors held on with sellotape yeah. from previous, you know, years and years and years. And Yeah, they so, were different times. Well, they were, but I mean, not only was there no chocolate, but that's fine because when we were kids, there was no concept of there being chocolate in an advent calendar. So that's all right. But the fact is that it wasn't even a surprise yeah, no, there wasn't a surprise, no. Well, there wasn't. If you couldn't remember a whole year and know there was a lantern in door number yeah. three, then, which you couldn't, it was yeah. a surprise, but it was also you'd look at it and go, oh, I remember the lantern. You know, you'd have a little, oh, yeah, moment as well, you know, which was quite, I mean, it's different times now. Different times, different times. We're not going to suggest bringing that back then the to kid, see how the kids react to it. You know, the kids need lunch at Le Manoir Cat Saison these these days and door number three. Uh, are you doing are you doing the elf in your house? Do you do the elf? What's, the elf on the shelf thing? What, what's the elf on the shelf? I mean oh you've got away with it. The elf no, it started uh, about not necessarily. Four, oh, this four or five years ago and it was this thing of you have an elf that appears through this period and he's a naughty elf so every day the elf the kids wake up every day and the elf's done something different so he's opened cereal everywhere or he's you know he's poured oh, washing up liquid God. in the sink or he's done whatever have you not been involved in this no and i don't intend to get oh no steer clear because that would it's, be giving young vibes a license to kill Oh, it's a nightmare. The only thing that's quite good about it is if you go online and have a look around, parents have been a little bit creative out of hours. So there's some great internet stuff of, you know, elves doing a couple of lines of Charlie or throwing up in the toilet or, right. you know, do, doing unspeakable things to... Yes, to, doing, to, the, yes. doing the things I'm probably going to do during <laughs> Advent anyway, yeah. yeah. Maybe, you should, maybe you should retrain as an elf on the shelf. <laughs> retrain. Dude, like, you know... The, they have a thing in Denmark called Nisa, which are like little elves that they pop, pop here and there around the house and right. Christmas. It's all a bit strange. It's all slightly, you know, in the area of, um, what were they called? What were those things with the squishy nose and the sticky up hair? The little trolls. Fellas. Yeah, trolls. Box it's all trolls. in the area of sort of trolls and things that live under bridges. Mm. by the hair on my chinny chin chin and all of that Ah, it's sort of in that area that the danes do but they do all sorts of stuff that which is you know they have this whole hygge thing which is it's kind of caught on now and it's become a a thing in england but the the this hygge h-y-double-g-e is um is to do with a it's a danish sort of notion of like a coziness is the nearest oh. 
there isn't a there isn't a translation of the word into English, but it's sort of like coziness, getting together round a fire hmm. in the winter and doing cozy stuff, having nice conversations, maybe drinking a little bowl of glug or whatever. Hmm. Um, so they have that, and it's it's got a lot to do with candles. Uh, Lynetta always has candles going, you know, in the evenings. And we get through an awful lot of candles, which uh, cost a fortune, unless you get them from Ikea, in, in which case they're all right. So, and what what's this thing? You spelt it. What was it called? Huga. It's okay. like, you know, again, we don't have that U sound either. Right. The French have it. It's like where you... You purse your lips into a U shape, but you say E. So right. you say he, Hugo. Uh, like the French have that U sound, don't they? Mm. For all sorts of shit. Mm. Um, so Hugo is, uh, or, or if something is of Hugo, then it's Hugolit. Oh, I like that. That if if something's Hugolit, it means it's it's. It's got the coziness thing going on. So you've got the candles, you've got the fire lit, you've got yeah. your little trolley elves about the place. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I kind of get it to an extent. I mean, it, to me it's more to do with gin, frankly. <laughs> <laughs> and there we have it. I can join in, but I've got to be sloshed. <laughs> yes. And and there we have it. Right. Um so before we get on to the main order of business, uh, which would be a little bit weird this week, as you're about to find out, um, the live stream. Uh, we obviously announced the live stream last week on the podcast, forgetting that it would be a week before everybody heard it, so uh, ended up announcing it behind it having been announced, But you, mm. if you know what I mean. But, but how's that all going? How's it, how's it uh, proceeding? It, it's going well. I mean, sales started off quite slowly and I thought, oh, no. And then, of course, the penny dropped there. Nobody needs to buy a ticket quickly for this one yeah. because, you, you know, you can buy a ticket a minute before it starts if you choose because uh, you, you'll get in and you'll still be on the front row, mm. you know, because there is there is no front row or no back row there's just it um and there's no it's a gig that can't sell out if, if we sell a million tickets it won't be sold out so there isn't that same urgency for people to pile through the door first and go oh my god oh my god i need my tickets you know i don't want to miss out um so it's been a bit slower but it's been steady it's mm. been steady and it's costing quite a lot of money to put on but I think it's already, you know, last time I looked, it was it was around break even. So I'm right. not I'm not worried about the money or anything. Um, I'm worried about what the bloody hell I'm going to do on the night. But I always do worry about that because um, I don't do them often enough to have remembered what I was doing from last time. So I have to learn everything all over again which I will do at some point. There's no point doing that now because I'll have forgotten it again by the 19th. <laughs> <laughs> so on the one hand, there's this feeling of impending pressure. But on the other hand, there's nothing that can be done about it until, you know, the week before. And then, then I'll have to knuckle down and learn some tunes and decide what I can do that's a bit different. People are already sending me little requests. I had a request come in yesterday. There's no chance of doing Gaza at the piano, is there? I'm like, oh, for <laughs> God's sake. You don't want much. Um, <laughs> that that well-known festive tune. <laughs> Any chance of that? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I know what we need to lift a our nice, spirits. A nice Hugolit number. <laughs> um, yes. Yes, about man's inhumanity to man. Yeah. Yeah. If if we can't focus on that at Christmas, when can we? But it's a, you know, in a way, it's a good point. You've got to remember how beastly yeah. we all are in, in order to make the effort not to be for a, for a bit. Um, but yeah, Gaza might be tricky. <laughs> I don't know how. You know, I know you'll have some support with you. I know there'll be a few of us floating around, but I don't know how we could help you get to Gaza somehow. 
Yeah, I'll try and just jam it in between Beethoven's Fifth and the 1812 <laughs> Overture. <laughs> you are going to do Rhapsody in Blue as well, aren't you? I mean, just, just chuck that in as well. <laughs> that'll, be, that'll be fine. Think, yeah. I think it's going to be magnificent. And there's going to be, uh, I think Lucy and I are going to be monitoring questions and feedback and what have you through the evening. So I think we'll be bringing you little little tidbits to respond to. There's a very good chance you're going to be magnificent. I, I think the chances <laughs> of me being magnificent are slightly slimmer, but, but I'll do what I can. Oh, you'll be fantastic. Don't worry about it. It's going to be great. But it's all going well. Sales, sales are, are, are doing what, I suppose, what yeah. after, what you're yeah, expecting. Yeah, it's going fine. Yeah, yeah. I'm happy with it. And, um, you know, it'll be, it'll, be, it'll be weird for me to be in that place, sat at that piano in that church with nobody in it. Nobody there. Uh, that'll be well strange. But yeah. um, I'll just have to... Um, Sort my attitude out and get inside my head and get on with it. We'll you know. we'll find ways. We'll find ways of getting that feedback to you. Yeah, I mean, I will be conscious of the fact that people are there down the mm. lens, you know, and that the and that the spiritually they're every bit as engaged as they would be if they were sat in front of me. I know they will be for a fact because I know what what our fans are about, and they're extremely soulful bunch, and they'll be they'll be right there, hundred percent. So that's yeah. lovely, and and I, it's not I'm, that is not going to pass me by, you know, as as a fact. No. We will be bringing the globe together. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've just got to keep reminding myself that the whole point of doing it is 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 to sort of wrap the year, wrap what has been a shit year up in 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 a nice ribbon. Yeah. For everybody, you know, and that, that it's not really about me technically being perfect or getting every last chord right or not singing one note out of tune anywhere which is the shit i normally worry about um it's about um communion communion that's a great word that'll do it that's a great word that's what it's about Um, yeah which actually reminds me you saying communion because we're heading into um christmas music or rather i quite like i quite like this whole concept that's come along of winter music and my favorite album as a complete piece of work for this time of year was an album by thea gilmore called strange communion so if oh. you haven't checked that out you ought to check that out that's really quite i will check that out. quite fantastic uh, exactly. i could see you doing a winter album actually Stingo did a winter album, didn't he, as well? yeah that was that was a little bit more paired back to sort of you know earlier instrumentation and times and what have you it was a little bit more um as you'd expect with sting it was very uh focused was it about the loot there was a bit of loot involved and 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 stuart Stuart copeland said oh well with sting it was always all about the loot (laughs) (laughs) oh we'll put a a little a little symbol crash in there in 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 the edit in post you can can see how they never got on (laughs) (laughs) hard to to believe but uh yes dear gilmore strange community i'll ping you a link over absolutely fantastic um so um chapter 33 and i i thought i'd be really prepared this week so i went to read the diary the next diary entry because i knew we'd crossed over into a new year and we were crossing over into 1993. So we'd come to end of all, all the holiday stuff had come to an end. And and we were going to cross into 93. And obviously 93 is a big year for a lot of people because it, it marks, it marks um, you know, the transition towards the Brave album. So I thought, great, sit back, look forward to this. I'm going to do some research, going to read quite a bit of it. And four and a half pages later, and I'd finished 1993. Hmm. I just did that as well. <laughs> so, uh, so it was a rather thin. Um, um, I can only assume that's because of the amount of shit that was going on. Well, yeah. I'm, I mean, I do normally go quiet when I'm making records because there's so much to do, there's so much to attend to, um, and if I've got time to sit down and write, then really I should be sitting down and writing words or yeah. or agonizing over chords or thinking you know f- trying to have a vision for it as a piece of work and which, which i was um but 
and because of that, I just hadn't written written any any of the days down, and it's such a shame because it was a sort of it was an important time. It was it was what turned out to be an important record. I mean, they're all important, but Brave has kind of accumulated this sort of legendary status now. Um, and so it's a shame that, that... I mean, normally when I'm reading the diary, I'm going, oh, oh, no, I don't remember that, and oh, I don't remember that, and isn't it good I wrote it down? But in, in the case of, of uh, 1990... Is it 93? Three, 93. Yeah. I can remember more than I wrote down, <laughs> you know, which is unusual, you know, because I was I was reading it thinking, oh, I didn't mention that, and, oh, I didn't mention that. I don't think I even mentioned playing the demos to Miles on my bed, did I? No. In the diary, no. which, which I we, remember quite. Yeah, we, which I've we've covered about. far more in this than is actually in the. You yeah, know, is in the diary itself. Yeah, if no, you look I, at some I, of the. I don't stories. mention locking myself in the in the tower with the drones for three days to write in Brave, you know, no. and the band occasionally looking in going, oh, I'm still droning. I wonder what he's doing. Um, and I was still, trying to get... Still droning on. Just trying to get that droney, dark Celtic thing going and, and um, you know, and just working out how the drones should move. And that that, that, that took yonks. Um Still takes ages every time we come to play it live. It's showing Mark what to do, because um, he can't. He can never remember it, and I, I struggle. Um, so that took a while to dream up. And when we went to Marowat, we we only had the first bit of the Great Escape. We only had that in for the Great Escape. We only had that bit. We didn't have just when I thought I'd seen the last of you, falling from the moon. All of those things were were jammed while we were already there. Mm. So there was quite a lot of the album that came together after we'd arrived. There was a lot of sitting around waiting for Dave to edit stuff, you know, um, you know, and ruminating and thinking. I'd got all the lyrics stuck on the wall in, the, in my room. And then, of course, we were only at Marawat for eight weeks and then spent... Uh, Months after that, at Par Street in Liverpool, Street. and I don't, you know, so I never, I never even mentioned me and Mark in Lime Street Station throwing coins at the ground with a dat machine, you know, because or sending Dave off to to borrow borrow underground station to record that tube train that comes in the middle of living with the big lie. They were all things that we thought, oh, we should. It needs a tube train, you know. Mm. And then we got this tube train. We put it, put it in the song, and I listen to it, and you hear the doors open. I said, "She needs to drop her change. <laughs> she needs to drop her change." Davey's looking at me oh, for fuck's sake. I said, "It's all right. It's all right. We'll go, we'll go to Lime Street and we'll record it." So then, like, dead of midnight, as me and Mark Kelly scrabbling around on the floor in Lime Street Station. Throwing loose change at the ground, you know, well, when he's there with the dat and you're trying to get a good level and, you know, the sound of people walking by and all of that. Because you forget that because now now that'd be easy. You'd just literally type, you type into, you know, a search engine, a popular search engine, what you want, and, and, and 50,000 versions or variants of a sample would appear. Yeah, yeah, I remember Spike Milligan once saying, somebody in the sound effects at the BBC said, Spike came to us one day and said, I need a sound like somebody being hit in the face with a sock full of custard. You know, and, and that was the brief. Um, so, yeah, you could, you could just type into Google, girl dropping change outside tube train. And you'd probably find it now, you had to make your own when we were made, when, when we were recording Bray. Yeah, I forgot. So anyway, we, let's let's go back a little bit, and we'll 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 fill out a bit of the year, because I I read something today that said that um, you started writing the album about November time of the, of ninety two, and initial sessions went on at what I guess was the original Racket Club. Yeah, our our first version of the Racket Club was a much smaller place. It was on the same, it was on the same estate that the Racket Club is located, right now. 
but it was it was just, just a tiny little industrial unit and we were all crammed in there and we we were storing our equipment on the like mezzanine above us so it really was like an explosion in the back room of a music shop that was the atmosphere of the place you'd go in and there'd just be gear everywhere which there still is now um but the space is a bit bigger to accommodate it than it was back then and we were all crammed into this little room covered in gear um but we used to work harder in those days than we than we do now um you know we were we we would get together around lunchtime work till about four or five in the afternoon then then we would go half the band would go home but we'd all go home i'd have my tea and then I'd go back and I'd do an evening session with usually just me and Mark. Mm. We'd go back together in the evenings and have a little O'Garth Kelly um, session and quite a few things came out of that. The Great Escape came out of that. Um, the Hollow Man came out of this, was inspired certainly by the same, same four or five chords that, that, that Mark wrote for The Great Escape. Because what happened with that was we'd got this, we'd got these chords, um, and I, I, I went, I took those away and wrote the Hollow Man and brought it back and went, ta-da! What do you think of this? And everybody went, hmm, you know, which is what they always do when you play them anything. Um, yeah, it's all right. Yeah, sort of a bit, you know, a bit moody, isn't it? Don't really, don't really go anywhere, does it? You know that that was the reaction to that. Uh, so, as a consequence of of the band being so underwhelmed by the Hollow Man, um, I wrote the Great Escape on them as well, um, and which they all seemed to like rather more, uh, even though we only had the first section. But but you know then then it was developed to Marowak into what is undoubtedly a good a really good thing. So. Maybe it was good that everybody was underwhelmed by the Hollow Man, which I thought was... I was very proud of that and still am, you know, in terms of how it... how it, the sort of musical development of it and the chords mm. and the way it moves around. Uh, I, you know, I haven't gone off it. Um, so we got two good songs out of what were really, you know, four or five good chords at market. Mm knocked out and and that was i think that came out of one of one of our little evening sessions was the the working into the evening was that a hangover from the fact that obviously previous sessions were on site somewhere so you'd go to somewhere to you know write and therefore would you have had a different work ethic and did that change over time as 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 you weren't paying effectively for the space by the hour well, yeah, there's definitely that. There's an element of that. What what it is though is that when you get together and jam, the first sort of half hour is where the good stuff happens, yeah. and then it just stagnates. And a way of 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 a way of making that more productive that I suggested was what we should do is get together and jam, and then we should clear off. Go home, have tea, do whatever. Go and have a picnic. Go this. Go and play the slot machines. Whatever. Shag. Whatever. Go. Go and do something somewhere. <laughs> and, Not all uh, at the same time. <laughs> you get thrown out of the arcade. Well, <laughs> that's what drilling holes is about. It's about doing doing it all at the same time. But, um, but. Well, not necessarily. Don't quote me on it. It's all right. We're not recording it. Yeah, um, yeah. No, nobody's going to hear it. And um, and so, yeah, it was just simply a way of getting away, doing something at paint the shed. Don't shag. Paint the shed, yeah. uh, uh, and then returning on the same day for that for that enchanted first twenty minutes. Mm. Um, I thought it'd be a way of doubling what we, what 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 we what we had, you know, mm. of, of doubling the gold uh, daily. Um, but you know, time goes by, and everybody's got wives and kids, and you know, and 
and it, you, you do get to a point in your life where your domestic life is actually more important because you've already burned a marriage or two by then and you think, well, how did that happen? And you think, oh, I know. <laughs> it's because I was never there. <laughs> and I it, missed I missed out on watching my kids grow up and all of that and, you know, and I've made a lot of good music, but hang on a minute. Mm. I'm not going to do that again. And, and, and I, th- I, th- I think then it's much harder to persuade people back in for the night session, you know. We just don't have the same energy we had, you know, no. for a kickoff. No. Um, and as you pointed out, there is an element of, well, we are, you know, we are in the racket club. There isn't that sense of watching the money go by. We're not no. spending a thousand pounds a day hiring no. it. I mean, the truth is, we probably are spending a thousand pounds a day on rent and rates, but you don't look at it that way. You've not got somebody from a record company telling you. They're not reminding you every minute, are they? No, we haven't got the the record company, you know, with with, with squeezing our balls the way that yeah. that they used to. And and yeah. they, they they were always very subtle about how they did that, but it was never that obvious. But there was always just that feeling: <laughs> we better get on, you know. Well, they're mm. they're, they're not going to pay for it. They're going to, you know, they're going to go. That's enough. It's quite a skill that being able to subtly kick somebody in the groin well they're very good at it they you know they just do it with the veiled threat of the money running out yeah. all the time you know that that's but that's how most people live isn't it everybody goes yeah. to work every day with the veiled threat of the money the threat running, of money out. running out yeah, yeah so the, the there's there's racket then which appears as a, th- as a thing because and and i guess what i'm trying to do is i'm trying to look at the the building blocks of what would come later on. So racket is actually quite an important building block. It wouldn't have it. It, it isn't realised through the period, but that's a constant that still exists. You yeah, know, today. It, it, it it was the fact that certain member, members of this band, and I'm not one of them. Um, they 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 do, and they certainly were looking forward to a time when. If we were to continue and to endure, we'd need to do things differently. Yeah. And so we did uh, pull a little bit of a scam on EMI and we said that in order to make our next live album, which because they wanted to do a live album, we said in order to do that, it'll be cheaper rather than hiring a, a mobile studio and bringing it in. It'll be cheaper if we bought... You know, Rothers has always got the magazines out and he's looking at the new tech and he's, mm. he was doing that yesterday. He'll never change. You know, he always knows about the next... He's, he is very tuned X, into new tech. X1RW99V mm. that's just come out that's, you know, jumps through twice as many hoops as the he last He always one likes the one with the slash, doesn't he? Uh, yes. So he, you know, he was aware of the fact that multi-track, machines were getting cheaper uh i think tascam or somebody like that had got a multi-track out that was to record 12 or 24 tracks or something and if if we could if we could con emi into buying us that for the live album we we're slowly moving into a place where we could start making our own records mm. um and then those tascam digital eight eight tracks machines came out as well as da88s i think yeah and you, you yeah. could plug things you could plug four or five of them in and sync. yeah them you could up. loop them together couldn't you um and mimic 24 looking back they were a nightmare but but you, you could do it and we did record entire albums with with da88s so mm. it was just the way of being able to to make records multi-track records that didn't cost an absolute arm and a leg um and we were looking towards that and so that was the that was the time having having got this little industrial unit that became racket our our racket studio uh we were looking forward all the time and, and we were persuading emi to give us money that we could quietly buy gear with that mm. would would put us in a position 
where they didn't have us by the balls going down the line. Or if they dropped us altogether, we could go, oh, well, never mind, and continue mm. to function. We weren't all just going to lie down and go, oh, well, that's the end of that then. Mm. Because a lot of artists do, and I'm one of them. I'm one of those, oh, my God, I never saw that coming. That's the end of that then, people. But, you know, Steve uh, and, and Mark, to some extent as well, well, both of them between them, they're much more, you know, they've got plans. I've got mm. plans, I've got plans. We're going to do this. We can do this. They're schemers, you know. And uh, that saved us, you know. That has saved yeah. us in, in the past. Because, it, it, as I say, there's lots of bits of the way that you uh, you continue to work that seem to be around about that time. So obviously Racket appears, you're right, you're starting to, to, to put the gear together to allow you to do it in-house. You start a relationship off with Dave Megan, which to a certain extent, you know, you've got the albums that Dave's been involved in, then you've got the albums that Mike's been involved in. So you you started the first of what has been, you know, in hindsight, two two periods where you've worked closely with one producer for a number of, of albums. Yeah. So there's lots of things that kick off with Brave. Yeah. That end up being replicated, you know, quite quite a lot down the the line. I mean, I yeah, guess to this day, to this day, things you know that that, that we live with this to this day. We we, we fact, Mike was uh, an assistant engineer at Par Street, and so all of that time spent at Par Street finishing Brave off, you know, was was the beginning of establishing that relationship with Mike, and then when we needed further down the line we needed a, an in-house engineer we needed someone to help us engineer our recordings we we were thinking oh what about that bloke up in liverpool mm. he was really good you know and he, he was he was a good laugh as well mm. um and a nice guy and someone we could spend a lot of time around and so mike came down and that relationship started that then then at one point he quit because his car exploded and that was my fault. I, the woman across the road from me in Charlton got this dreadful green car for sale. And I thought, oh, well, we could get that for Mike. It's only, I mean, it was like 150 quid or something. <laughs> we bought him this car and it ended up exploding on the M6. And it was more than he could cope with and he, just, and he quit. He never came back. Um, <laughs> he didn't come back for about 10 years until Megan was mixing... Um, marbles and then we, we ran out of time as we always did with dave and um mike came down and mixed some of marbles steve wilson mixed some of it and dave mixed some of it and d during that process we, we somehow you know we, th we we threw the cloak over over mike and brought him back <laughs> into the fold <laughs> to which he's yet to escape yeah <laughs> There are days when I think he may escape any second, but uh, we shall see. No, and I think this is the bit to me that's because the whole thing with Brave. I mean, I mean, you said something earlier on that you know Brave has, has become this album that you know has has has, bec has become a very special thing as part of the the Marillion canon. The thing for me is that Brave was a special album almost as soon as it came out. There was something so unique and different about it. Um, it came out in that way that it felt like it was a classic when it arrived, that it would age well and the, and the, all those things that, you know, all that hyperbole was going to be around it for quite a, a, a while. Um, in the same way that Sgt Pepper did. Right. It comes it comes out and it's a classic from the get-go. You So you look at Brave and you look at the way it's packaged and everything about it, that whole thing with the LP, with the extra groove on it. There's mm. just all these little things that just all fold into making Brave quite special yeah. in, in one fell swoop. But everybody seems to then focus on Marowat as being the whole process. And yet in reality, it's only a small part of the process. It was. It was, yeah. We did spend a long time at Pine Street. Um, I used to just I used to just swan around Liverpool, going to sun tanning salons, <laughs> uh, and uh, didn't and know what you were going to say then. And art shops. Oh, I go go and buy, and I've still got a few bits of mirrors and whatnot that I've, and ornaments that I bought at the Blue Coat Art Centre in Liverpool, uh, which I can recommend if you ever find it. If you ever find yourself in Liverpool and you've you've got 
50 quid you're not too bothered about. Um, there's a fabulous little shop called the Blue Coat Art Centre and it's sort of tucked around the back of this uh, this little quadrangle and it's full of um, little bits of ceramics and beautiful things. Um, so I bought some beautiful things there and um, yeah... Yeah, that double spiral uh, uh, as well on the Brave album. That w we we went to. Um, in fact, it wasn't the double spiral that did it. It was it, it, again. We all arrived at Abbey Road to master Brave with all of these different files, and we wanted to merge three stereo tracks of digital together because I'd had Priv go out and record Silence uh, in France. So that we could have, so that the album would start with recorded silence rather than just nothing. So the first thing you hear when you put Brave on is is silence, but it's it's real silence. It's been recorded at dawn. It's a space um, in time somewhere. It's yes, a point in time somewhere. Exactly, because Brave's all about ghosts and whatnot. So we we had Brave went out with a dat machine, crack at dawn, and recorded some silence in the door doing. And then, and then that is mixed together with with the with the then sound of that foghorn, mm. which is a separate recording. So then the silence crossfades into in, in, into the, the the ambience of uh, the water lapping, and the foghorn, which then crossfades into Steve's guitar going, mm. um, aping the foghorn. Which again was an idea I had the first time Steve, I heard Steve make that sound in the record club, and I said, "God, that sounds like a foghorn, man. That's perfect." Um, and so then I think Megan said, "Well, let's let's go and find a real foghorn, and we'll merge them together, and we'll do that." And so the, these things are all really thought out well in advance. Um, Where'd you go for a foghorn? I Just don't know. Somebody... Dave found one. Um, and um, we had to merge these these tracks, digital stereo tracks together. And we went to the master... We, we were this mastering engineer. I won't name him partly because I can't remember his name but, and, <laughs> and, and partly because if I could, I wouldn't want to... I wouldn't want to go public with this. But he just, he just sat there looking glassy-eyed well, we said, this is what we need. We're right, we need to do this. And he just sat there and he went, I, I, I can't do it. I can't do it. I don't know how to do it. I don't, you, you're all going to have to go away. <laughs> this is what he said. And, and he sort of had a mini nervous breakdown in front of us while we all sat there going, you don't expect that at Abbey Road, do you? <laughs> you, you, expect, you expect, I thought this place was just chock full of geniuses. <laughs> And there's this bloke, I'm a teapot, see ya. Um, so we all had to go home and come back another day when they found somebody else who could, who could do, do it. it. <laughs> I think they, they got all the, you know, they went to the library and read a lot of books and read a lot of <laughs> manuals and, you know, again, there was no internet. You couldn't Google it. So uh, we all had to go away and come back another day uh, to, to Abbey Road. Um, when when they did when they had then worked out how they could do. do it, hmm? and then and we, did, was, we cut that was. double spiral there as well. And there's another bit of brave, you know, that, that again doesn't feature into most people's kind of take on the story because there's the whole Abbey Road side of it as well. Mm. You know, you're, you're into four or five phases of something that um, quite. Quite special the way it all came together. Anyway, we'll stop we went, there. We went to the townhouse studios on a Saturday as well to record the alternative ending for The Great Escape because Mark had had the idea about, if, well, you know, of, of let's do one where where we imply that she's jumped hmm. and one where we imply that she hasn't and let, and, and then you don't know which ending you're going to get. And all this is a wow. So um, then I wrote some more words. Uh, for the end of the Great Escape, and we went to the townhouse in Goldhawk Road um, on a Saturday and recorded it. So mm. there was Marrowette. There was a long time spent in um, Par Street in Liverpool. Street. Then there was a day, a day spent in the townhouse. 
doing the mm. other uh, other version of the greatest escape and then there was the mastering process at uh, uh, abbey road and the first album that all starts off at racket so it's a big it's a yeah, big change isn't it, it was an intro it yeah it was it certainly was a meticulous piece of work mm. have you ever played that version of excuse my ignorance have you played that version of great escape live i think we have yeah, I couldn't couldn't tell you when or where, but I, I seem to remember working it out again. We might have done it at a convention, you know. Mm. We might have done it at one of the early Port Zealands. Can't mm. remember. Mm. Mm. Right. Well, we'll we'll um, we'll stop there, and uh, as if by magic, you're going to cover an entire year in a single diary reading. Yes. Yes. Yes, my first impressions of walking through the gate at Marowat Chateau on top of the hill. Yeah, incredible. Nineteen ninety three. Wednesday, tenth of February to Thursday, 8th of April. Chateau Marouat, France. Being here some months before for a look around did nothing to diminish the sense of awe upon returning to make a record. The position of the place, literally a castle on a high hill, evokes memories of Hammer, Vampire and Frankenstein movies when looking up from the road. The chateau itself once you're through the huge oak doors, across the outer gardens, over the moat, under the arched gateway, and into the main building, which is 11th century, mirrors its exterior internally. It's packed with every kind of pre-Renaissance art, tapestries, wood carvings, paintings, antique furniture, and what seems to be half the world's ransacked churches. Well, that was before our truck arrived... I didn't quite realise how much gear we had. As the first couple of sunny days passed, teams of French chaps transported heavy hardware, like ants, up the spiral stone staircases of various towers. Most of it ended up in two rooms. The band is set up in the main hall, amid gothic wood panelling, stained glass, carved stone walls and log fire. Producer Dave Megan and engineer Priff Hedge occupy the more Regency splendour of the master bedroom, complete with two mixing desks, noise gates, compressors, digital and analogue effects, DAT machines, patch bays, blah, 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 blah. Out in the courtyard, if you look up, there's the incongruous sight of multicores draped like washing lines between arrow slits in wings of the chateau. These connect the five of us to the control room via our backline, which is dotted around the place. Bass gear in the chapel, guitar amps in the cellar. I'm not sure where the keyboards come up, but I can always hear Hammond organ in the kitchen. Maybe that's ghosts. The overall effect of Marillion and Marouat colliding, I suppose it would be called Marillouat, looks a lot like a space shuttle crashed into a cathedral or Camelot. Quite a sight. I still discreetly pinch myself every morning as I arrive bleary-eyed from my tower across the garden in search of coffee. Entering what was once the Queen Mum's room, she stayed here, to find Dave at the helm of a do-it-yourself Starship Enterprise in what must be the all-time ultimate bedroom recording setup. No one here knows for sure whether Dave or Priv actually sleep at all. Neither of them look as though they do. We usually work from 11am until midnight, but Dave and Priv are often working by 9am and are still at it at one in the morning. To make matters better, the work we've done so far on the music is going extremely well. I can already hear the environment having its own effect on the music. We've written quite a bit more while we've been here, jamming in the evenings over a bottle or two of the excellent local Bordeaux. Nobody has recorded here before, so I think the album will have a unique sound and feel. I'm predicting, because I don't know for sure even now, 
a much more raw and natural sounding album, angrier in a lot of ways than Holidays in Eden. It's almost a continuous piece of music, just over an hour long. The songs occur like beads on a necklace. The atmospheres are darker, rawer and more intense than before. The album is a story, a work of fiction that takes its starting point from a radio broadcast I heard some years ago while working in Bath. The police had found a girl wandering along the M4 motorway at the huge suspension bridge over the Severn estuary between Bristol and South Wales. She was unable, or simply refused, to speak to them in answer to their questions. In despair, the police decided to issue an appeal to the general public through the media. It was this appeal for information, an attempt to identify her, which I overheard. For some time, I've wanted to address the erosion of faith and truth which continues to pervade our culture. I concocted a collection of thoughts around these themes, and these are told from the perspective of the girl on the bridge. Perhaps I include myself among the pollutants which have poisoned her. This is a concept album, folks. There's no denying it. Pop, it ain't. Prog, it may be, depending on how you define it. Brave, it certainly is. Some might say impetuous. Energetic, most definitely. True, a lot of it. Passionate, don't be silly, of course. In many ways, it's a lonely album. We've certainly been lonely recording it. That's the trouble with a castle in the sky. I've got the locals working on a beanstalk that we can climb down. As I write this, I'm sitting in the control room, actually Miles Copeland's bedroom, he owns Marowat, listening to Pete T, putting the finishing touches of bass on Living With The Big Lie. From where I'm sitting, I would describe what I'm hearing as God's own bass guitar sound. The process of working with Dave Megan for the first time has been entirely enjoyable so far. He seems dedicated and focused on capturing our most inspired moments. He records everything and collects and catalogues our happy accidents with the fervour of some eccentric butterfly collector let loose up the Amazon for the first time. Our only problem has been keeping him supplied with lockets. For our non-British readers, a kind of cough sweet, which he consumes at the rate at which most people breathe oxygen. He learned his craft at Psalm Studios in London, working alongside the likes of Trevor Horn and Steve Lipson, on a spectrum of projects from Yes to Grace Jones, and more recently touring with and recording U2 for the Rattle and Hum soundtrack, along with production work for the Milltown Brothers and, in my opinion, some fine moments for the House of Love. He privately admits he's a hippie at heart and occasionally sends me out in search of joysticks. Someone told me in a bar last night that the Dalai Lama came to the Dordoin and said there was good magic coming from the ground here. He'd been drinking, but I know what he means. Tuesday, 27th of April. Much later. Went to Rondor to have lunch with Stuart Hornell and John. Went to the same Italian restaurant that Stuart's taken me to before. He was his usual bluff self and said, if I give him another album on the deal, he'll give me 50 grand now. I said I'd have to think about it. For about 10 seconds. I was due across town to see Bill Smith, our graphic designer. Stuart offered his driver and car a black Merc. Hey, I'm a pop star again. The artwork's pretty cosmic. John said Virgin want me to sing at their radio station launch bash, and the band include Paul Carrick and Andy Fairweather Lowe. We rehearse on Thursday at Easy Hire. In the evening, I returned to Parsons Green for my car to discover Joe Rawson and Binder Patel, who used to work at Rondor, sat on the wall outside the pub. They say neither of them have been here for a couple of years, and, of course, neither have I. Went into the pub to buy a Pims and discovered old friends Sally and Felix inside. We've been trying to locate Sally for a couple of years. She's now living on a houseboat on the Seine in Paris with her boyfriend Dominic. Felix is just back from Australia. They haven't been to Parsons Green for years either. 
Thursday, 29th of April. Turned up at Easy Hire, still the same, to find Mike Rutherford and Paul Young running through Revolution by the Beatles with the band. Said hello, and I listened through until they'd finished, and I was called up to the mic. I was introduced to the band, Pete Thomas on drums, Keith from Squeeze on bass, and Tim Rennick on guitar, whose attitude I like a lot. Paul Carrick on keyboards, Andy Fair with a low on guitar, and horn section. I sang I Saw Her Standing There once, and everyone seemed happy, so that was that. Chatted more to Mike Rutherford and Paul afterwards in the bar and asked if I might sing a BV on Revolution. They said sure. Drove into the West End and bought a video machine, got a parking ticket and called in at Gloucester Place to see how the international crowd are getting on. Had a couple of drinks with Louise Vase and went home. Stayed up till 1.30 connecting up the video machine. Friday. 30th of April. Drove to hit and run in Chelsea, arriving around four. Everyone's okay and Anne's looking slim. Nick Belshaw was in, advancing the Charles and Eddie tour. Nice to see him. A Japanese Brazilian had sent me a shirt in the post. Nice. Went with John to the Piccadilly Theatre and bumped into Ken Campbell, who used to play with How We Live. He's working with World Party who were opening the show. I went and watched from out front. Before I knew it, I was on stage, quote, taking a break from the megadomes, as Paul Carrick put it. Thanks a lot, Paul. But unfortunately, not quite true. The song was fun, and I especially enjoyed singing Revolution with Paul, one of the best male vocalists I've ever heard, and Mike Rutherford. Dizzy Spell turned up too late to catch me sing, unfortunately. Paul later said he wished I could have got back up for another. When I got out into the theatre, the late, great Kirsty McCall got up to sing, just as John Arneson introduced me to Steve Lillywhite, her husband and renowned record producer. Naturally, he was distracted, but politely said hi. I used to see Steve occasionally in the Beehive in Middle Hill at Englefield Green. He's originally an Egham boy. I'd never previously had the nerve to bother him. Said hello to Gabby Rosslyn and Chris Evans from The Big Breakfast. She's still talking about the midi gloves after I demoed them to her at TVS years ago. She asked me if we'll do the show. I wonder if she meant it. Stole miniature shot glasses from the dressing room. I stole Nick Lowe's as well to make it a set of six. He'd already left anyway. Afterwards, across the road at the Dome, Jeff Beck was sat at the next table. Didn't have the nerve to bother him either. Wished Richard Skinner luck with the station. A most enjoyable day. Saturday, 1st of May. Drove to Bath with Dizzy, Sophie and Nile. Had a mooch around the shops and a pleasant sit in the sunshine in the public gardens. Monday, 3rd of May. Mark K came over to drop the hire car off, took him back home, and when I got back, we went to Blenheim Palace to check out the craft fair. It didn't seem up to much, so we just went into the cafe. Took Nile through the butterfly house. He only seemed to notice the goldfish in the pond. The kids played in the play area. Came home, bathed the kids, and drove up to Liverpool, arriving at 1030 dropped my things and went to the pub with proof. There don't seem to be any licensing laws in Liverpool. Thursday, 6th of May. Went down to the Albert Dock for lunch at the Barley with Paul and Annie. Afterwards, I wandered around the Hockney exhibition at the Tate and then walked back up through the town. Bumped into a busker playing ill and pipes in a doorway on the street. Asked him to come over and meet Dave tomorrow. Thank you and love. Tony Halligan. In the evening I sang mad and popped over to the Pele gig at the Adelphi. They seemed quite good. The sound wasn't quite right but the energy level was good. Came back and went to bed at Par Street. (laughs) 
And we're back. And and we're back for the second time. Oh, you're owning uh, up. Uh, I'm going to own up. I've got to own up. I managed, for whatever reason, to cock up and not record my half of the rap this morning. He did. And I've so, been drinking, so I'm rubbing it in. <laughs> and he's just been drinking, so he's rubbing it in. So we left you this morning, except with a, with a view, we wouldn't come back to 33, but we're back at 33 now. We're revisiting. Because had we have put the one bit of audio we had, which was just H talking, it might not have made a great deal of sense. No. This is 33 and a third. 33 and a third. So it's now the end of the day, which means a couple of things. One, I can ask you how your day's been. Oh, well, my day's been... um, It's been fine. I've been to the studio. We've listened to a bit more music. We had another little jam, and that that was a good jam. And uh, we've decided that we're, we're going to have a, li- a listen through what we have and um, start working on, on songs from, uh, from Monday. Wow. You know, and here it comes. So right. got a lot of stuff, got a lot of lyrics, a lot of music. So, uh, yes. Yeah. No, it was all right. It was, I think it was all right. Um, I drove like the devil himself for after me in the in the mini. I got there. And then realised when I got there, the back of the mini was so covered in cack that not only could I not see out, but nobody could have seen my brake lights coming on and off either. <laughs> or my number plate. So, um, so, yeah, I thought I'd better attend to that. In fact, I think it was Mike who pointed it out. He said, you do realise... You might as well just have put a bit of sheet metal on the back of that mini for, for the amount of light that's going to be coming through. Oh, Lord. So, so I, I cleaned the back of my car a bit. God, this is riveting listening now, isn't it? <laughs> just, and, oh, and, yeah. and I came back. All right, OK. And, and and you're treating yourself to a little snifter, aren't you? I thought uh, I'd have a cognac because, yeah, you know, show. the weather's getting cold. Yeah. And, and this, this, this time of year I start to enjoy sherry about this sort of time. Mm. Is that really... Is that civilised or is that just... No, it's your age. Is it? All right, okay, thanks for that. Thanks. <laughs> Are you anyway, walking pretty... with a stick yet? <laughs> no, not not quite yet, but it's very kind of you <laughs> to point it out. <laughs> or, um... one of them, or one of them aluminium frames. <laughs> aluminium frames. <laughs> Don't know why I'm, I'm starting... laughing. I'm starting to look so all future chairs will have a commode built in. Mm. Um, so, anyway, back from the diary section... Uh, God, it seems such a long time ago. Um, and what I did mention this morning, because there's hardly anything to ask you from the diary section, because, it, well, A, it's only four pages long, and B, we covered most of it in the first section. But what we do do is we collide with a couple of things that we have talked about before. So we do talk about the Virgin um, Radio launch. Yes. Which brings Paul Long, uh, Young and Mike Rutherford and Paul Carrick into the equation. Yes. Um, we do touch on the fact that Kirsty McCall is on stage um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, as you're as you're off stage insulting her to her husband. The only the only time I've ever spoken any words to Steve Lillywhite in my life, yeah, that turned out to be monstrous insults. Um, and obviously, uh, Gabby Roslin makes an appearance. Yes, yeah, so I was later to throw myself off a bus in front of. Yeah. So, so there's all that collision going on, which, which I think is really nice. I think it's really nice. Um, the other advantage of recording later on in the day, and the day has transpired, is that I got a, um, I got a message from Ian Maidley. Ah, Ian, the lovely Ian Maidley. The, the, yeah, who has, has managed to procure, and I don't quite know why, but he is now, if you, if you send an email out hmm. to I'm going to send his email I'm going to put his email address out there now this isn't going to help it's all going to go wrong but he's procured an email address uh, that is one of our little um one of our little tag phrases from TCD he now has that phrase at gmail.com I'm not going to say it out loud hmm. I'll tell you off air is so it, and uh, we're back at uh, well it, it could be that but it isn't be a good email address um, he hasn't got that one, but he's got one of the others, uh, and he's, he's he's got that as a Gmail address. I don't quite know why, <laughs> but I'm sure he's got a plan. So so thanks, Ian, for doing that. It's great. Um, and then one last thing, we uh, we're going to talk a little bit about Richard Barbieri next week. We're going to talk about those projects that you did with uh, with Rich. 
which I'm really looking forward to. Well, yes, I mean, I can, I can certainly, I can certainly talk to you about that. Um, but what I was going to say was, and we did say this this morning, if you've got a specific question about those projects, then we don't normally do this, but but fire them in, and we'll include a few of them in next week's uh, next week's episode. So we're going to go through um, those projects. But if you've got a question, either on stevehogarth.com. Uh, or if you're one of the purples, bang it to us on on Patreon, and we'll we'll try and cover those as part of the Richard Barbieri special next week. It was his birthday. Um, well, I, I I could say yesterday, but what I really mean is on Monday, the thirtieth of November, ah. uh, which was yesterday at time of recording, but a few days ago at time of going to press. So I did. I, I did drop him a text. I dropped him a text and wished him happy birthday. Oh, and he sent me a picture of his Christmas tree, which was hysterical because it was about six inches high, <laughs> about four inches wide, and there's bugger all on it. <laughs> so uh, is he? Is he Spartan? <laughs> he said. He said he's going. He's going for a minimalist Christmas. <laughs> Well, that was my response. I said, we wish you a minimalist Christmas and a Spartan New Year. <laughs> <laughs> and is that, is that is it, is it true minimalism? Is there some, you know, reflection on how he approaches the season? Him and his good lady wife, I think. Yeah, I don't think they're, um, I don't, yeah, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Well, it might be a good idea for you to, um, you know, to do a little... Barbieri podcast. Oh, I, I'm lining could, all these up. Could, oh, I'm lining up. There's, could, the, there's your know. sisters. There's Rich, Dave, Greggs, um, You know, Ian, Ian Mosley. There's a whole. There's a whole raft of these. Yeah, you could do a there's, little one with him. Yeah, yeah. There's a whole. There's, there's so much muck that can be unraked. I reckon with these. <laughs> um, Richard would take great pleasure in in throwing a bit of my muck about. I know because oh, yeah. he's got a devilish sort of thing about <laughs> him. Well, he, well, you know, I'm just I'm I'm letting you have a little bit more rope. Mm. Uh, I'm waiting till you've literally said something unbecoming about pretty much everybody. Right. I mean, Mark Mark Kelly's been emailing me every week. He I has mean, he's not. just desperate. He has not. Has he? Are you winding me up? Oh, all right, all right. Oh, dear. And with that bombshell, folks, we probably ought to wrap up for the second time on on 33. I'm just going to check again. I'm still spinning. I'm still recording. I've got something this time. Yes, I have a red stripe advancing. (laughs) I bet you do. (laughs) Folks, it's been a pleasure. Actually, do you know what? I think this is a better wrap than this morning. Is it? I think it is. Uh, um, yeah, so I do think we've made a better job. Uh, you were fine this morning. I was a bit. My, the rap was a bit pathetic for me, so I'm, I'm pleased it never got out. Okay, all right. So I think we've. I think we've done all right. Okay. Right. Well, I'll see you next week. Well, yes, we're yeah. getting close as well. Actually, by the time we we meet next week, we're not far off live stream. No, then then we'll be proper live, won't we? Mm. Doing pro- and I'll be doing a show. You'll be doing a show. I'll, well, and I'll have a cold, because I always do for these bloody yeah. shows. That hopefully I won't catch a cold this this season. And at least I won't have to worry about that. No. Well, you won't be. There's nobody to infect. Well, it's selling well. I told you it wasn't selling well, didn't I? Yeah. On the on the wrap that we didn't use. Yes. Uh, but on the wrap we're using, it's selling quite well. Is it? Is it? <laughs> Has it got a lot better through the day? <laughs> it has. Lucy sent me an email. And I think there's hope. I think everyone's going to get paid. Oh, blooming egg. Yeah. Blooming egg. Oh, dear. Yeah, I can put you in the uh, in the Oxford Premier Inn. I've got money just flying around now. Oh, oh. Shacking up with Lenny Henry for the night. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> Bring your own duvet. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Right, I'll I'll chat to you next week. Okie doke. Well, have a good uh, whatever it is. Yes. Anthony. Well, you too. Yes. Well, I do. I, I, well, you you are doing this afternoon. <laughs> Should we say goodbye now? Oh, it's so hard to say goodbye. There's a it song is so there, hard. isn't it? It is. I never could say goodbye. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, we could go out as a communards tribute act. 
<laughs> Which one would you be? Can I be the vicar? Oh, no, I want to be the vicar. Oh, Everybody wants to be the vicar. Hell. I don't want to be the other one. That would involve dancing. Well, let's go out in a better version of the Commonards. It's just two lots of the vicar. It's two vicars behind a keyboard. Yeah. <laughs> two vicars and a synthesizer. Yeah, yeah. Perfect. It's a winner. We'll edit all of this out. Thank you very much, Richard Hartman. Thank you very much, Alina Kushnir and Hannah Sackerman. Thank you, Paul Wayne. Tim Bryan Thank you Al Ward and little Sue Gordon Cheers for subscribing Scott Myers and Lee Anna Tim Russell Quite a few additions this week Perhaps the word's getting round Whatever the reason It's good to be purple If I've forgotten you Let me know And I'll do something about it Next week Thanks for subscribing Everybody Maybe I'll see you from some chance before Christmas. Before Christmas. Thanks for listening to the Corona Diaries. It featured Steve Hogarth with the insights and me, Ant Short, with the questions. If you enjoyed the podcast, please consider subscribing and maybe leaving a review as this will help others find it. You could even share with other like-minded souls, should the mood take you. This has been an A Short Stories production.